Welcome to the platform journey from Tidemark, a growth equity firm purpose-built to help companies win and scale. I'm your host, Avanish Sahai. This series explores what it takes to build a successful software platform company and get the ecosystem flywheel going. We talk with seasoned innovators who have traveled this road before and can help navigate the way and share their lessons. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Platform Journey podcast. I'm Avanish Saha, your host. And today, a very special guest, another person I've never met in person, but I think we have we are somewhat kindred spirits but based on the, some of the things we do. So the, today's guest is Chris Cruz. Chris is the general manager of the Worldwide ISV Alliances and Marketplace Business at a little-known entity called AWS, Amazon Web Services. So, Chris, welcome to the platform journey and delighted to have you on. Great. Thank you for the opportunity. Looking forward to the conversation. Hey, so usually when we start these, we ask the guests to give just a bit of their personal background. I know your role has expanded recently, which is exciting. So talk a bit about that and then maybe also talk a bit about AWS itself. Look, it's I joke that it's a little known thing. It's a massive business. But I think it's always good just to set a bit of context on what it is, how it's evolved, et cetera. So take it away. Definitely. So, yeah, so I've been now at AWS. I just hit my seventh anniversary about two months ago and joined, uh, first started with the Marketplace team when it was a very small team. It was uh, the entire organization at that time was on one floor in one building in Seattle. And that included the business development team that I ran. It included the product and engineering teams. It included like our operations team. We were literally all on one, one little floor in the Blackfoot building of Seattle. And, uh, and it's grown, obviously, a lot since. And so, as you mentioned, right, I've now taken on the ISV Alliance organization, which is part of the Amazon Partner Org. And so all the teams that cover our ISVs now roll through me. And so kind of have a general manager function at this point. And, uh, but it's really been focused on growing Marketplace and also integrating Marketplace into a lot of our co-sell and co-partnering activities that we go into with the ISV community. Awesome. Well, first of all, again, congratulations. That's a fantastic role. And, and I think the breadth of it speaks to your, obviously to your talent. So look, the AWS platform journey, for those of us who've been in the business, you know, we've been tracking it and it's been a truly spectacular story. Just talk a bit about from your point of view, for someone who's been there for seven years, but also knows a bit more of the history. What is that journey like? How are, you know, what's the evolution of the platform strategy from your point of view? Yeah. You know, it's, it, we started off with a very simple premise, right? The, the charter for Marketplace was really just to provide the selection experience to the AWS customer. You know, one of the nice things that we get on the, on the AWS side is we get to learn a lot from our retail counterparts. And there's the infamous flywheel that people point to with Jeff Bezos. And one of the key concepts that, you know, make a flywheel experience work is the concept of selection. Right. People buy from the Amazon website because it's the everything store. You know, you can buy books, you can buy car tires, you can buy whatever you want. And, and that's one of the things that really helps uh, get that momentum going from a flywheel perspective. And so that whole concept of selection comes across to AWS in the form of marketplace. And so that was really our first charter was just to provide this third party selection experience. And so when I joined the team, the, the catalog was predominantly a variety of open source products that were available for customers just to get started. Things like WordPress and LampStack and a bunch of Linux distribution systems that were third-party entities that customers wanted to run alongside their AWS accounts. And then we started to add paid software. 
And the first products that were added were machine image products, Amazon machine images. And it was for very basic functionality, things like firewalls and load balancers and, and those types of technologies. And we really built up a, a very high transaction volume business where we started to see a lot of volume. Customers were buying these products at scale. It was smaller dollar sizes. We were seeing the subscriptions that were well below 20K. A lot of them were candidly below 5,000. And so that was a really cool experience. But invariably, customers would also want different form factors. SaaS was taking off. We were only selling machine images. Containers were hitting the market. And so we started to add more and more product types. We added SaaS. We added containers. We've now added professional services as we've kind of expanded. And so the, the AMI is almost the equivalent of the book on our side, right? Amazon started off as a bookstore. We started off as an AMI store. And we've started to really add all kinds of other products. And we've also added the ability to buy larger quantities. That's where we start doing things like our private offer experience that allows you to do those larger subscriptions, but they're those now through AWS Marketplace. Look, that's a, I had never heard that analogy, but it, it obviously makes a lot of sense, right? That what started as a bookstore has evolved to, you know, the everything store and, and for AWS, a similar, similar journey as well. So now you're obviously in the marketplace and the ISV alliances, uh, you described a bit of the, the different examples. How, you know, talk a bit about that strategy. You know, where's the input coming from that? How do you define, you know, which ISV alliances to build, which partners recruit, et cetera? How's that, how's the evolution of that? You know, we started off in the predominant ISV type, if you refer to it that way, was the infrastructure related ISVs, right? These are your security ISVs and networking and storage and database and developer tools. And those were very popular. One, because that was the AWS customer, it was the builder. And so our builders were building things on top of AWS and they wanted those kind of core infrastructure products. As you go to the cloud, the first thing you stand up is your networking layer, right? Your security layer and your identity posture and so on. And so those technologies were the first ones that were very popular. And, and what's happened over our 10 year history is that uh, we started to hit critical mass on that infrastructure set of products. And so as we started to grow, we had to look at, well, what other solutions do our customers want? Now, that also kind of mirrored the journey that our AWS customers were on, where you first start off with these builders, but now our customers are moving their entire data centers over, they're moving their back office systems. And so now the solutions that they're running on AWS are much more of those line of business type of solutions. They're running their ERP systems and you know CRM, HCM, or vertical solutions, right? Something that's very specific to, you know, maybe something like healthcare, like Epic as an example, or FiveServe if you're in the financial services side. And so our selection kind of strategy is really pivoted away from the infrastructure-related products, and it's been more to the application side, both the horizontal technologies as well as the vertical technologies, because that's where our buyers are going. And the other thing that's driving that candidly is our procurement teams of our customers are, are seeing this great experience of buying all their infrastructure products through Marketplace. And now they're saying, well, I want to buy everything. I've been doing this for a number of years over here to buy my security and, and my networking products. What about all this other software? I just want to consolidate all that and put it on the AWS bill. And so that's also driving you know, our strategy around the selection, getting those line of business and horizontal applications into the catalog. I think that, yeah, that notion of selection, I think, is a, again, another persistent theme, right? Which is, you know, giving the customer options, both, you know, which vendors, different size, different configurations, different capabilities. So, you know, when you and I speak, we always talk about, you know, the customer obsession. And I think the, the best way to bring this to life is maybe if you can give one or two examples of kind of how has the customer journey for some of the AWS customers been impacted 
both by you know the marketplace itself and the overall strategy that you've been driving and leading. That'll really be be powerful. No, definitely. Well, it's, it's interesting when you're. I think when you're building any kind of marketplace or platform type solution, there's you have to pay attention to a lot of different buyers. You know, so from our perspective, from a marketplace perspective, we have on one side we have the what we refer to as the seller, right? This is the ISV community, and we want to launch features that delight the seller, right? How do we make it a really nice selling experience? How do you easily onboard products, and how do they integrate to AWS and providing a nice automated experience on that side. But you can't pay attention too much to that one side. You also have to pay attention to the buyer side. And, and you have to add features that the buyers also want. And what we find is as we innovate, you start to find different things that you have to add on both sides of the equation. You know, one of the, the best examples is when we launched private offers, you know, the first month we saw a seven-figure subscription go through Marketplace. You know, before that, you know, we would kind of top off at about 40K for a database product at the time. And so the first month we saw this million-dollar subscription. And we actually thought it might have been an error. And so we actually called the customer and said, hey, did you mean to do this? And we got a hold of the developer and they said, absolutely. This was the smoothest subscription I've ever bought. I didn't talk, talk to anybody in sales. I love it. And so, you know, of course, we were celebrating and everyone's high-fiving in the hallways and we've made this, you know, breakthrough. And you fast forward a month later and we get another call uh, from that very same customer. And it wasn't the developer, it was the procurement team. And the procurement team was not happy. They were like, how did you let this happen? How did a developer on my team just buy a seven-figure subscription without going through any of our checks and balances? And so that led for us to develop another feature, which we call Private Marketplace, which allowed customers to actually curate down you know, our entire catalog down to approved standards. It could be things that they've already reviewed the legal terms, or it could be software that's been approved by their central architecture teams. And so as we've innovated on one side, you have to start innovating on the other. And you can't get too top-heavy on one side or the other, because if it's too much of a buyer experience or too much of a seller experience, then you start to scare away the other side. And so you have to be very conscious about your engineering philosophy and add features on both sides. And so it's kind of like the you know philosophy of lifting a car. You can't just lift one side or the other and you have a tilt alarm go off. You have to lift both sides at the same time. And so that's very much fed into our engineering philosophy is adding those features just as quickly on the buyer side that we do on the seller side. Well, I, and I think that also right in that description, you brought to life the, the notion of a two-sided marketplace, right? Which is unless those those two sides are meeting and engaging at the right expectations for each side, it's not going to work. So in passing, you mentioned private offers. And of course, it is a, a construct that, which I think is very powerful. Talk a bit more about what is the private, what is the notion of a private offer? Why is that relevant? And again, for the from an enterprise perspective, why do they care and why do the ISVs care as well? Yeah, what led to private offers, as I mentioned, we first started off with this really nice self-service model. And people would buy subscriptions that were $5,000 or $10,000. And that was great to get going. But what we'd find, especially on the enterprise customers, invariably they would hit a certain point where they'd say, we want to expand this technology. We want to buy it for our entire department or a division or our enterprise. And you know, we want a quantity discount. And the way we were set up at that point was it was very much like, here's the price, it's point-click buy. And there was no negotiation. And so what was happening is our customers were frustrated because they wanted to buy that software and continue on, uh, but they couldn't do that through Marketplace. 
And our sellers had just sold this software to a customer, but now they were having to engage a sales channel and go outside a marketplace. And so it was adding you know, additional sales costs. And so we added a feature called private offers to remedy that. And what private offers allow you to do is effectively a, a software company can submit a negotiated subscription to an AWS customer. And it allows them to do anything upwards of a three-year contract. They can do flexible payment terms where there's different billing dates. You can upload a specific EULA. But it really provides the ability to actually now do a submitted negotiated subscription, but still take advantage of all the integration that comes from a marketplace perspective. And so that was a great event for both our buyers and sellers. Our customers loved it because now they could just put these larger subscriptions directly on their bill. They got all the integration downstream as a result. Our sellers loved it because now it was, a, it was a streamlined way for them to sell to an AWS customer. They could just drop it on the AWS bill. And so there's this deal acceleration that started to occur. And that really kind of transformed marketplace. It really changed the trajectory of how we were selling, both from a dollar size as well as volume size. As I mentioned, we were kind of doing deals that were you know, in that 10K, 20K, maybe 40K range if we got lucky. And suddenly private offers came along and we started to see six-figure, seven-figure, even now eight-figure subscriptions going through Marketplace. And it's a great experience both for the buyer and the seller because they get a lot of value out of it. But it's really changed the way that we also co-sell with our ISVs as well because it really dropped Marketplace front and center to our co-sell initiatives across AWS. So again, the thoughtfulness, right, of saying, hey, there's friction in the process, which we all know there has been. Right? How do you leverage technology in this case? You know, create a capability that allows you to operate somewhat like you normally would, but taking advantage of the existing relationships and the existing infrastructure plays and so on. So we again, I've been following that, and obviously when I was at Google Cloud, we we had to implement similar capabilities for you know catching up reasons. And it is it is transformative, right? I think it does change the experience especially as the enterprise customers buy more. So again, you and team have been innovating on a lot of fronts. You mentioned CoSell, right? So yeah, that's another, I think as we think about platforms and ecosystems, there are some canonical ways that people have tried to work in the past. And I, I would argue they don't always work super well, right? But folks like yourself, I think are innovating in not just the the platform strategy and the capabilities, but really also in the, the business models, right? And the engagement model. So maybe you can take a couple minutes, talk a bit about the, you know, things like the CoSell program and others. They just say, hey, how is that changing in the world we're living in, particularly in the cloud-centric world? And how do you see that evolving over the next cycles? It's changed dramatically, right? As I rewind prior to uh, AWS, I was at IBM for 10 years and predominantly within WebSphere. And that was a big part of our charter at WebSphere was to get the ISVs to use the application server and so on. But, you know, there wasn't really a strong co-sell motion. Right? We were a component that was just used by that ISV. And so you really didn't see a lot of co-selling in the field. We were just kind of one of the things that was underneath the hood. And as you go to today's era, these ISVs are now deciding which cloud to build on. And then, you know, part of that equation becomes how am I going to sell to those customers? And, and how do I co-sell and how do I do that at scale? And so that's kind of one of the reasons why, you know, one of the things that we did recently was we moved the marketplace business directly into Amazon partner organization. Up until this year, the two organizations were separate. But as marketplace private offers took off, we found that was this awesome way to automate that co-sell experience. 
because that was the number one piece of feedback that we were getting from ISVs was that we want to work with you, but we can't do it the old way. We can't go do a bunch of lunch and learns. We can't do this manually. How do we co-sell at scale? And what we started to see is that a marketplace, because we're providing a number of functions over APIs, suddenly brings this great automation to the table. It's a great way to drop your, your spend directly on the bill, which compensates the AWS sales reps. There's financial motivation. Our customers retire their pricing commitments to AWS, so there's this automatic element there. Uh, we integrate to downstream AWS services. And so there's this long list of things that occur when you go through a marketplace. And so that's where we kind of saw the, the, the two organizations coming together. And so marketplace becomes that automation component. And then on top of that, what we've started to do from an AWS perspective is then supplement that with a number of co-sell programs. You know, because again, the ISVs that we're working with, it's not about just the platform that they're choosing to build on, right? But they also want to know which ISV is going to help them generate customers, help them on that co-sell basis. And so the automation is one component for things like marketplace, the features that they get from the, the cloud provider that, you know, are another component. But then what are those programs? What are the co-sell resources in the field? One of the things that we launched a couple of years ago uh, to really kind of address that was the ISV Accelerate program. And that was really our first program where we took Marketplace and APN and pulled those two teams together and came up with a collection of benefits that would help our ISVs on the co-sell basis. You know, how would they enable our field sales teams? We put in sales resources across the globe so that they could help our ISVs co-sell out in the field, broker those relationships with our account teams. And, you know, and then how do we supplement that then with demand gen? So once we've got a strong product and we've identified a great use case, how do we go promote that? Do we do a webinar? Do we do an event? You know, there's a whole variety of things that feed into the demand gen side. And so, you know, the relationship on the co-sell has become uh, much more uh, kind of integrated than it's ever been in the past. You know, before it was just kind of like a side type of thing for maybe the technology provider and that ISV using the solution. Now it's almost become table stakes for how ISVs are working with their cloud provider. Amazing. I mean, and again, just to play back, right? There is a technology relationship from a where they build, but now you've also added the marketing relationship, the sales relationship. There's really a, a full 360 relationship with these with these ISVs or these partners, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's where we spend a lot of time is, you know, we also do a lot of discussion on what's the right price point, what's the use case. And putting a lot of thought into that, you know, a lot of our partners have a variety of use cases. And what we found is super successful is that you got to get very pointy, you know, like a, a good example, you know, when we first started working with Splunk, Splunk is a great technology and it can do all kinds of things. And it actually became kind of a problem when we first started, because like, well, how do we position this thing that does so many things out there? And, and so Splunk kind of went back and said, we're going to really fo focus on security operations. We want to do DevSecOps. And that's where they really put a lot of their emphasis as they started to co-sell with AWS. And, and they use that as kind of their beachhead. And they would get in the door, and then they would start to expand to everything else that they did. And so the, the use case analysis you know, that you start with is a, is a very key component. You know, a lot of my teams that work with the ISVs were looking for people that are well-versed in the industry so they can actually help guide that decision. You know, they're actually more of like a product manager versus your typical alliance person where they've, they've really understood that space and they can say, I know your technology. I know the other technologies in the space. Here's how I think you should position your product with an AWS customer. Let's start there and do some campaigns around that and learn and try to iterate from that point. So Chris, you've, you've again, I think given a terrific picture of kind of how the strategy has evolved. 
what do you think have been some of the key success factors in this journey? When you, again, you've, you've had the benefit of seeing it scale like crazy. If you look back, what are some of the things that you think have been really success, drive, have driven the success of the growth? Yeah, I would say there's, there's a couple of things. One is I've kind of talked about maintain that balance, right? Don't over-engineer on one side or the other, right? Because you're going to get top-heavy and then it's actually going to scare away that other audience. And so as you're adding features to delight the seller community, you got to make sure that you counterbalance that with the buyer community. And then you have to look at, you know, things as you go along. So going back to that example about our first private offer that was over a million dollars, you have to have your antenna up and really be able to look at that. One of the things that we always talk about at Amazon is our leadership principles. And the one that always comes to mind for me is, is learn and be curious, you know, and you have to have that ability to take a look at what's going on and see, okay, here are the new paper cups that have really popped up. How do we address those, right? Because if, if you are tone deaf to that type of thing, you're going to get left behind, you know, because this is a, it's a very new way to buy software and sell software. And, and so if you're not paying attention to those signals as you're going down the road, you're probably going to drive off the road. And so, you know, that, that's been very important for us is to really have a good feedback mechanism, both with our ISVs as well as our buyers. You know, a lot of times, you know, I can, will challenge my team. Hey, are you on speed dial? Will you text your, you know, your ISV partner or your customer right now? And will they respond? You know, building that level of relationships that you can get that really good feedback is so critical because they're not just going to give it to you if you don't know who you are. But once you've established that level of trust, you know, they really start to share and then you can start to iterate and build the right things because engineering resources are precious and you don't want to be focused on stuff that's not going to add value. And I talked a little bit about the prescriptive approach. That was very important for us, you know, kind of the Splunk example. And there's a plenty of other examples there. You know, one of the other things that's been a big success factor for us is our investment in our channel functionality. One of the learnings that we came across when we first started Marketplace, it was more of an app store model. It was like, we're going to make it so easy that you're just going to have software companies on one side and buyers on the other. And, you know, who's even going to need a channel partner? Right. And that was our original line of thinking. And, and it was, and we were wrong. You know, we found that, especially as we started to do larger private offers, our ISVs came to us and said, wait a second, I'm using channel partners as an extension of my sales force. I don't have enough people to cover our customers. And so I use channel as a way to extend my sales force. And then our buyers came to us and said, wait a second, I rely on these channel partners. They provide us advice and consultation on what to buy. Oftentimes they provide a managed service. We'll use them for things like diversity spend. And you are prohibiting that, you know, with the marketplace model. And so we added a number of uh, features, which kind of accumulated in our channel partner private offer feature four years ago. And that has opened up a whole nother market for us. Once we finally did that, there was new ISVs that finally came to the table because we can involve their channel partners. There was new buyers that came to the table because they were buying through their preferred partner. And so that was another signal that we saw. And we had to really kind of have a hard look at our business and say, maybe we didn't quite have it right the first time around. We need to retrofit Marketplace to support the channel persona. I would say that. And the last one I was going to wrap up with is just automating the experience. You know, as marketplaces grow, what you find is that the volumes go up fast. And if you have manual processes for things like onboarding of an ISV or processing of a private offer, any of those things where they might start off like, oh, okay, this is nice when we're doing a dozen of these or a hundred of these, they will become hamstring events. 
Because as you scale and you start doing thousands of private offers and millions of subscriptions, you just can't have that manual component. You'll just break. And so you have to make sure that you're building an automation for all of those things that help the marketplace go, whether it's onboarding or processing of subscriptions. If you don't pay attention to those investments as well, uh, you're really going to fall behind. And again, removing that friction. And I really like the channel extension example, right? Because again, sometimes I think we in our in our a bit of our ivory tower tech companies think, hey, we can disintermediate all these players. But reality is they have both, not just deep relationships, they bring a lot of value to the table, right? They have, they could be industry expertise. It could be, hey, history of how that organization has operated and so on. So kudos to you guys for, for doing that as well. So we talk about all the good stuff, Chris. You know, give maybe one or two examples of things that have been maybe more challenging. What, uh, you know, maybe roadblocks or things that are like, you know, I wish we had done that differently if uh, under different circumstances. Yeah, roadblocks. You know, it's um, one, you got to maintain a really long-term view on this, right? You know, it's very interesting. When we first started, we were doing a lot of evangelism, right? There was a lot of like, hey, just try this out. Like if I kind of rewind back to when I first started, you know, there was a lot of, you know, kind of future selling of the value of marketplace. And there was a lot of ISVs and a lot of buyers that were super skeptical. And that was a big headwind for us at the very beginning, right? It was just a very different way to buy, you know, and on top of it, we were transforming the software industry from a predominantly a perpetual license model to say, no, you should try to match up with a pay-as-you-go utility consumption model so that your pricing mimics the AWS pricing that they're getting for their, their infrastructure. And so, yeah, we were really pushing a rock up a hill for a long time. You know, if I take a look at the 10-year history, it was really not until about two years ago that it felt like we finally summited. And all of a sudden, it was no longer about convincing ISVs just to try it. It became more about ISVs saying, how do I do this better? And it took a long time to get there, right? We had to really persevere. You know, I've had the luxury of having a, a team with me for almost the entire time. You know, and there was a lot of times where we would, you know, kind of finish up a day or a quarter and go, man, is this ever going to get going? You know, we had to have a very long-term view, right? And so that, you know, was a big headwind. It was just marketplaces in general. It was just a, it was a different way to buy. And it took us a long time to kind of get our customers familiar with that. And so, like I said, the last couple of years, it's really started to come, you know, kind of as a default. I would say the other piece too is just getting new, you know, cultivating new buyers can be difficult, right? When you're trying to get a new persona to try something out, that's a big challenge. So because I kind of mentioned, we started off with that infrastructure buyer and the builder persona was very much in line with what we did there. As we started to get into line of business software, what we found was that the line of business persona was not coming to our marketplace, right? They weren't in the AWS console experience. And so, you know, that was another big headwind is how do we get that line of business attention? And that took us a lot of time to go generate the right demand gen, the right marketing programs, you know, to get the right selection to get that new buyer. And, you know, and you, what we kind of, as I look back in hindsight, that's a very heavy lift. Generating, you know, kind of a new buyer audience is not something you can do overnight. You have to have a very long-term view to do that. And a lot of education, right? Because this is not something that, you know, the developer and the techies are somewhat used to this pace of change, but a line of business buyer has not necessarily spent a lot of time thinking about the evolution of how to purchase software. So Chris, you've already alluded to this, but you know, the notion of marketplaces is now becoming pretty, pretty predominant, right? I mean, you look at Forrester, you look at Canalys, you look at all these publications, IDC saying, you know, over time, 
the majority of business software is going to be purchased through the marketplace construct. And I'm sure they look back and look at a lot of innovations that UNT have driven as examples of how that's evolved. Now, a lot of other companies, not infrastructure players, sometimes they're application players, et cetera, are also either building or thinking about their, their respective marketplace strategies, right? How do you, you know, if you were to sit next to someone at a conference or on a plane, what are some of the, you, you talked about some of the lessons learned and so on. What advice would you give you? You know, uh, someone who's in your role, perhaps at a smaller app company, what would you tell them? Yeah, you know, I've hit a couple of these, but I would say, one, don't invest on one side or the other more. You have to keep that balance and really focus on simplification, right? You know, that was one of the big drivers for why we launched Marketplace was that the buying experience and deployment experience for third-party software we didn't think was ideal, right? You know, for me, you know, prior to coming to AWS, you know, I had a variety of, you know, product, but also sales-related roles. And that was always one of the most frustrating things for me was, you know, the experience of getting third-party software in to a customer was not very easy. And ultimately, that's one of the big things that Marketplace simplifies. So you have to make sure if you're building any kind of Marketplace, are you simplifying something beyond what's offered today? If I kind of rewind back, I remember doing large deals and then we would roll into a customer with a whole box full of CDs. Right. And that's not a very good experience, right? You know, hey, here you go, customer. You just spent all this money. Here's a box of CDs that's going to take you hours just to load up, let alone try to configure. And so Marketplace was all about simplification of third-party software, whether it was open source or paid software, into your environment. And so if you're if you're trying to build a marketplace, make sure you're simplifying something well above what's out there today. You can have a great marketplace, but if you lose sight of the, the core tenet of having that simplification effort, you're probably going to struggle. Yeah. And I'll date myself here, but I was, you know, I'm old enough to remember, but it was not even CDs. It was disks, floppy disks, and then cartridge tapes. So I used to have hair back then. Chris, as not surprisingly, just we, we could talk about this for hours, but just tremendous, tremendous level of insights. Thank you so much. Any final thoughts? Any any comments? You know, as you get into this next part of your journey. No, other than if this is a space you're interested, you have to think big. When you start building these types of things, you have to look at the scale size, right? And keep that in mind. Like, you know, really think big about what you're doing. You know, it's interesting. While we've had tons of success, last year was the first year we disclosed our revenue. We're in the billions. You know, we're still just scratching the surface here. You know, when you look at the segment, which is enterprise software, it is a huge, huge market. And so, you know, there's so much potential here. And that's what's super exciting, you know, for me is that while we've had some great success, there's so much more that we can do. And we think we're offering a great value to our customers and our sellers, which is the other exciting piece, right? That's the one thing I also enjoy is that, again, going back to my sales days, there was always kind of this, like, you get a deal done and you didn't necessarily feel so good about yourself. You'd have this drag out conversation and, and I, you know, in this role, I really feel good about what we do, you know, cause I feel like we're bringing great value to our sellers and we're bringing great value to our buyers. And it's fun to have those types of conversations where you're not getting done with a deal and, you know, you don't want to talk to the other side for another couple of weeks, right? You know, it's, it's a much more of a collaborative relationship, which is very exciting. Amazing. Chris, thank you so much. Great to see you. Really appreciate the time. All right. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you for joining us on this leg of the platform journey from Tidemark. For more insights, subscribe to this podcast and visit us at tidemarkcap.com.